Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly mindful on this day of all of you at our 95th Street campus. This is a historic moment, you know, as we journey to the advance of the cause of Christ in southern part of Naperville, Plainfield, Oswego, Aurora. Uh, we're, we're voting as, as a congregation on the purchase of property for the 95th Street campus. And I can't wait to be with so many of you at the 4 o'clock meeting as, as we really uh, take this significant step uh, in the advance of the cause of Christ through our church. And I'm also excited about today's message. This is kind of fun. I finished the series last week, started a new one next week, and we kind of have a standalone week here in between, which provides me just a great opportunity to focus in on Thanksgiving and to deliver a message related to this very significant holiday. Do you, do you realize that? If you, if you have in your mind, oh, it's just an all-American thing, you know, just kind of a hallmark holiday. No! This is a holiday that celebrates a biblical way of living, living with thanks. A journey of thanksgiving is something that's life-altering, and we're going we're gonna to study that. I, I want to begin my way into the message by going back to last week just for a moment. If you were here, you'll recall I had built this wood frame with a pulley system that lifted the cinder block up off the ground. And... Uh, I realized right before the first time I was preaching that I had built the frame too high. I, I couldn't reach well, at least the hooks that I had to hook this to. And so I'm, I'm like putting the bottom of the hook at the very tip of my fingers and kind of lunging in this awkward, you know, stretch for these hooks. And I'm like, oh, this is not very dignified. I, every time I do it, I make like a grunting sound. And I'm like, oh, boy. And I actually, before the first service, I stood at it and I looked and I said, I could dismantle the whole thing and cut the sideboards down six inches and that would, uh, but I don't have time. And, and it was awkward. Uh, I, I, I had a friend afterwards going, it looks like you were struggling a little bit to get those hooks. And I'm like, yeah, it was. I just, there's no good way. He's like, oh, there is. He said, you know that cinder block you have? Why don't you just step up on that and put the hooks on? Oh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, and sure enough, he was right. I mean, this simple solution was there all along, right in front of my nose, and yet I didn't see it until he pointed it out. Sometimes there's a task upon first glance seems impossible, and then come to find out it is far more doable than we thought at first. And that's kind of what's going to happen in today's passage. I'm about to read to you. Three verses, and they're like three of the shortest verses in Scripture. If you're ever wanting to impress someone, say, yeah, I memorized three verses this morning. Try these, because they're really short. But they're, what they lack in length, they make up for in the audacity of what they instruct. They are three commands from God that are so outrageous that upon first hearing them, you may be tempted to say, they're impossible, but with a little boost from the Holy Spirit, a little help from God, friends, I'm here to tell you, they are far more doable than you think. So let's take a look at them together, shall we? Uh, our passage is 1 Thessalonians verses, or chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. It simply says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all all circumstances. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Uh, I mean, you're like, what are you talking about? I'm all for being joyful, but always 
be joyful? Come on. Who can do that? Or never stop praying? Really? Or be thankful on Thanksgiving, yeah, but whatever. Here, be thankful in all circumstances? First glance, you're like, those seem ridiculous. Those seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that God wouldn't have commanded them if they weren't available and accessible to all of us. And so let's spend some time dissecting them, meditating on each of them individually, and then seeing how they interact with each other. Because the Apostle Paul wasn't just throwing out three unconnected commands. As we're going to see, they fit together. In fact, doing some leads to the accomplishment of others. They're there together for a reason. And so let's, let's take a look at them together. I love uh, Thessalonians. We're not in this book much, but it was written by the Apostle Paul. It's originally a letter to the church in Thessalonica. It was called in the biblical days. Today, the town's still a robust city in Greece. Thessaloniki is what it's called today. My wife, my Greek wife, has cousins who live in this city. So we've been there and visited those cousins, and it's fun for me to imagine those people in Thessaloniki studying this book that was originally written to their city. But it's not just for them. These are universal principles that apply to all people at all times, and they are as applicable to us as they were when they were first written. So let's see if we can understand them and then live them. The first one, always be joyful. Joy. Who doesn't want more joy? You know, it's so increasingly rare these days. But when you taste the fullness of joy, when your heart is exploding with a love for life, oh my, you just say, I was made for this. I yearn for more of this. I felt that joy on Friday night. We were having our, uh, we have, my wife and I host a couple small group at our home. And, you know, it's the end of a work week. Everybody is feeling this relaxation. Finally, we can kick back. Some of my favorite people in the world are coming over. My wife's baked homemade chocolate chip cookies. You want joy? There you go. That's all you need right there. And we sit in our living room with a fire in the fireplace, and we're studying God's Word together. And one of the group members did a little side comment of humor, and relate, at least originally related to the text we were studying. But we all chuckled, and that encouraged him to do a little hu- humorous role that he went on. And pretty soon he had the group of us laughing so hard, we were almost crying. And in that moment, I just felt the smile of God. Did you ever think of it that way? God loves when his children are filled with joy. Some, some of you grew up in church traditions where joy and laughing, you know, associated with God is like, no, 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 Christians are sober and serious. And that's not biblical. Scripture says that God's people are to be filled with joy. In fact, the challenging part of this is always be joyful. There, you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, clearly there are seasons of sorrow and grief. Jesus said we're to weep with those who weep. And so how can you say always be joyful? And here's where it gets weird. In, in the Christian journey, even in seasons of sorrow, where sorrow is dominating, we find that in the tears comes joy that coincides with it. Uh, There's this, 
bittersweet experience that Christians have in some seasons. This is evidenced by a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Paul says, we are Christians, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We're sorrowful and yet even in our sorrow there's a rejoicing and a joy that's there. This was evident to me in this beautiful display at my father-in-law's funeral a year and a half ago. You talk about sadness. We loved this man so much and his sudden and unexpected uh, death just left us in deep grief. I mean, at that funeral, we bawled, and yet we also laughed. You say, that's disrespectful. I don't think so. Part of our joy was our confidence that he was still alive in heaven, that the cross of Christ had saved his soul and brought him to God for eternity. There's reason for celebration. We were praising God and thanking God for blessing us with this incredible man for 82 years. And then every family member, it seemed, was fighting for a chance to get in front of that microphone and tell stories of precious memories with my father-in-law. And these memories were hilarious. And if you had walked in at some moments, you would have thought you were at a comedy routine because we are laughing and crying. And you say, that's a little crazy. Yeah, Christians are a little crazy. We grieve, but not as the world, not as those without hope. And even in our seasons of sorrow can come the emergence of joy. So yes, always be joyful. This is a command, and again, as a command, it's telling us that this is possible, that that the Christian life is to be marked by this pervasive, unending joy, that we're to have a a sparkle in our eye and a bounce in our step and just a fire about us where people are like, well, what's up with you? It's been said that joy is the flag hoisted high above the castle of the heart announcing that the king is in residence. And I thought that is good. And so I have set joy as one of my life missions. I wonder if you have. Have you, and maybe you say, this sounds too self-serving to say, I want to be happy. No, no. You honor the Lord most when joy fills your heart in him most. And so I think it's right to set as a goal. (laughs) I want joy and I want a lot of it and I want it every day because God has called me to this path. And so that begs the question, how do we set it as a goal? How do we go after joy? And here's where I think the interconnectedness begins to show up. If you want to be joyful, I would argue, you have to be prayerful and thankful. I think that these lead to this. And so let's move on to number two. Always be joyful is number one. Never stop praying. What? You know, my father-in-law who passed away a year and a half ago, uh, there'll be a moment as we celebrate Thanksgiving where we, you know, recognize his presence isn't with us physically at least. Um, It's because he would pray at Thanksgiving the longest prayers you ever heard. He would gather everybody around. He'd say, all right, family, let's hold hands. And he'd say, let's bow and give thanks to God. And he would start praying and praying. I remember once when Jake was younger, we call him Papu. That's a Greek for grandpa. Jake said, Papu, say amen, say amen, you know. 
Is that what never stop praying means? You know, Papu-like prayer where you start and you just never say amen? No. Clearly that formalized prayer is not what this verse is pointing to. This perpetual prayer, I think, we can understand it with the help of an author I've benefited from. His name is Henry Nouwen. Henry wrote a book called Clowning in Rome. And uh, he has a chapter in that book called Prayer and Thought. And in that he says, you know, we struggle to imagine perpetual prayer, but we don't struggle to recognize perpetual thought. Do you realize your brain's always active? Thoughts? Whether conscious or unconscious, whether you're awake or asleep, your brain is always moving. In fact, if you have a flatline brain wave, you're dead. That's how we recognize that life has ceased. So the brain's always active. And Henry Nouwen says, what if perpetual prayer is inviting God into our thought life? As long as we're going to be thinking about stuff, why not think about it with God? You know, if, if your thought life is that, jerk, I can't believe he cut me off. Did you just see that? What if our prayer is, Lord, that jerk, I can't believe he just cut me off. Lord, did you see that? You know, we chuckle, but I think there's truth to that. Every moment can become thought that's inviting God into it, where a challenge is, oh boy, Lord, what am I going to do here? How, how, how can I solve this? Or, or uh, joy is like, Lord, this is so fun. I love this song. Or, Friends, every thought can be increasingly saturated with an awareness of God's presence and your thoughts can become just dialogue with him. You know, if we were to have a device that could monitor how much God is in your thought life, we would find with some who are still spiritual seekers that some days you never give God a thought at all. Others we would find have like six times a day, you know. There's some thought that includes the Lord. Others, it's 20 times a day. Others are growing increasingly to reflect this. Oops, here, this one, never stop praying. And, And they would say, you know, it's weird, but I'm just finding that my thought life is increasingly acknowledging God and just enjoying his company as I do each day. Friends, this can happen. Uh, there's a, another book I recommend called The Practice of the Presence of God uh, by Brother Lawrence. It's like 500 years old, but just still so helpful. And I love that title, The Practice of the Presence of God. To live in God's presence and for life to become a perpetual prayer, you've got to practice it. Maybe today you only think of him five times, but if tomorrow, with a little effort, you bring that up to eight times, and then the next day, ten... You're practicing and you're growing. And I have found from both Bible and experience that we can grow over time to increasingly be mindful of the one we love. You know, when when a young person's in love, young love, they obsess about that person. They're always thinking about that person. And so as we grow in our love for the Lord, he's just on our minds more and more and more and more. And friends, when you live a day with God, it is very different than a day lived without him. The companionship of the Lord changes everything. In fact, it says in Psalm 16, verse 11, in your presence, we are filled with joy. Isn't that great? That's the difference that the presence of God makes. When you're doing a day with him, he just brings a joy like no other. And so I would challenge you, 
Practice the presence of God. Uh, let's go to our main slide here. Uh, you never stop praying. You will find that you're always being joyful. I, I can just point to my own life as an example of this. As a young man, I didn't think of God much. And I was a melancholy young man. There was a heaviness, a cloud. I wouldn't say I was depressed, but there was a gloom that marked my experience. And I didn't even know that that was wrong or that there could be more. I just thought that was normal. And then I fell in love with Jesus Christ. And the love of God invaded my consciousness and my daily routine. And as I basked in the love of God and his companionship, I've tasted a joy. I'm like, can, can a person feel this way? And as I have grown, I'm not here and here yet, but I'm growing more and more to reflect a joy I didn't know in earlier days. It's the difference God makes. All right, let's move on. One more. Be thankful in all circumstances. Very applicable, obviously, for Thanksgiving here. But it doesn't say be thankful at Thanksgiving. The challenging part is in all circumstances. And you're like, come on. You know, when everything's bad, how can I be thankful? Is everything bad? Is there ever a time where everything is bad? I don't think so. In fact, this word here is really important. In It doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances. It says be thankful in all circumstances. All circumstances, all seasons of life are a mixed bag. There's some really bad stuff and there's some good stuff. And this verse is calling us to identify the blessings, the good, the love of God on display in our lives and be thankful for that. We're not thankful for evil. We're not thankful for, you know, the terrible things. But we recognize that even when things are terrible, there are great things in life. And those who have mastered the art of gratitude have learned the skill of recognizing, calling out, enjoying the goodness of God, the beauty of God in the land of the living, and they turn to the Lord and give him thanks. The turning to the Lord to give him thanks, this is important because sometimes the secular view of thanksgiving, I have a thankful heart, and it's just kind of this uh, you know, unclear emotion. And like, no, no, no. Gratitude, biblical gratitude is for specific blessings, giving specific thanks to a real God who's responsible for bringing those blessings. And so I wonder if you've developed the skill of seeing the goodness of God on display in your life and giving him thanks for it. You know, a TV show, unexpected help has come my way from a TV show that I know I just found out it's been around for like nine years. I'm a little late to the game. I just found American Pickers. Have you, have you seen this show? Uh, here are the guys, uh, Mike Wolf and Frank Fritz. And these guys are antique specialists, and they hop in their van and they travel all over the United States to these people who have collections, some would say to hoarders, who have got uh, barns full or attics full of stuff or garages full of stuff. And these guys find stuff that could sell at their antique store, and they buy it from these people, clean it up, and sell it. But they would say that their expertise is 
that where others only see junk, they see gems. Where others only see trash, they find treasure. And it's fun to watch them. You know, they'll be walking through. If you've got like a clean freak mentality, you don't want to watch this show because it'll stress you out. Because there's junk piled to the ceiling in some of these places. And they'll walk through this narrow aisle of just junk and they'll be like, oh, right there, check this out. And they'll pull it out and dust it off and they'll say, this could be cleaned up and this could be sold. And they do sell it. They've made millions of dollars selling these antiques. Can you do that? Have you developed the skill of finding treasure among trash? I'm not talking about antiques, all right? I'm saying life can feel like you live in a junkyard. All of the problems and all of the pain and all of the hurt, it's overwhelming. It's everywhere. But have you learned the art of guidance by the Holy Spirit to identify there and there and there? Those are blessings from God in my life. I see it. It's beautiful. Do you have that skill? You say, well, I want that skill. How do I develop it? Here's a little uh, way you can practice developing that skill with God's help. I, this week, uh, did a little exercise. I opened my prayer journal, and I thought, in light of Thanksgiving, I'm going to write down 100 things that I'm thankful for. 100. I challenge you to do the same this week. Find a piece of paper. If you have a prayer journal, open it up, sit down, take... You say, 100 things? You mean a list of 100 things? That'll take me forever. I was shocked at how fast I filled that list. Uh, it, it took some focus, and that focus serves me well. I had a focus on, well, I started with like my salvation, the fact that I am forgiven, that I'm reconciled to my maker, that I'm going to heaven when I die. I mean, these are the huge things. Uh, the people in my life. I started listing people that are just a tangible blessing from God. I mentioned a few of the things that I have that I know God has blessed me with and that I treasure. The opportunities that God's brought my way that I enjoy. Some in the present, some memories of the past. I wrote them down. Uh, uh, things like nature. I looked out the window and I saw trees, you know, with gentle snow lining the branches. And I'm like, Lord, beautiful. That's a sculpture, a gift from you. And birds flying by that are God's gift to us. And the children laughing, I recognized as a, a gift. And the smell of fresh brewed coffee was a gift. And the hot shower that I enjoyed was a gift. And the bears are in first place. And that is a gift. And I, I just started, this list started just coming together. And by the time I was done, I thought to myself, wow, that was very helpful for me to think about how is God showing blessing in my life was a practice that has served me well. I challenge you to do it. it. may only take you 10 minutes, but find some time this week. It's Thanksgiving for crying out loud. You can do it, huh? And make a list of 100 and see if this isn't a skill you want to stretch and develop because those who live with gratitude are people who find joy. Those who walk through life and they're just like, oh, I know there's some hard stuff, there's some junk, there's some trash, but I'm telling you what, God is showing up and I'm seeing his goodness. I'm seeing beauty everywhere I look and I'm enjoying it deeply and turning to him in my constant prayer, complimenting him for what he has made, what he's created and thanking him 
and finding joy in the process. Well, friends, these three are interconnected. And these three can, with the help of God's Spirit, characterize your life. You can be a thankful person, a prayerful person, and a joyful person. I saw it on display uh, just this week. Uh, Caught me unexpectedly. I was first uh, in the context of watching the news about paradise California, this town that has been wiped off the face of the planet. This fire rolled into this community. And it, call it a town. I mean, it's a city, 27,000 people. That's a decent-sized city. And this fire just incinerated, melted cars, wiped it out. It's ash. And the news people were interviewing some of the residents who had fled from the town. And these people were just devastated. They were at times hysterical as they wept. We've lost everything. We've lost everything. And your heart just breaks for them as you see the pain that they are in. And while that devastating perspective is very understandable, I couldn't help but notice a contrast to the pastor of that town, or at least one of the pastors. I got an email that had a link to a video that the pastor of the Evangelical Free Church, that's our denomination, of Paradise, California, he he made this little video to communicate with his people who had to flood, uh, flee to safe sites. And in this video, I mean, there's pain. It was so evident. I mean, he's speaking to folks who have lost their homes. And he says to them, my heart aches for you folks. I just, I feel deeply saddened by your loss. But then he shifts and he says, but I thank God. He goes, first of all, I thank God that every single member of our church has survived this great ordeal. We have not lost a single person and God be praised for his goodness in that protection. And then he goes on and he says, and the Lord has provided a place for us to continue to worship. In a neighboring town, there's another free church that has opened a room in their basement and invited this church to gather. Right now, they are gathering and worshiping the Lord. And this pastor is like, we thank God for providing a spot for us to continue our worship. And then the pastor shifts into vision. He goes, I know there are some who are going to leave paradise, uh, the city, and go move away forever. And that's fine, he said. But there are some of us who love this town and believe that we're going to rebuild it. And he goes, I'm one of them. I, I want to see paradise rebuilt. And he says, I want to see our church reestablished. And I want our church to be a beacon of light to this community, remember, reminding people of what the life Jesus has come to make available to all. And, and I'm just like, wow. Yes, there was sorrow, but there was also a resilience. There was also perspective, you know, where he realized we didn't lose everything. We lost the stuff. But stuff, uh, he had this, this confidence, this hope, this thankfulness, and might I say a hint of joy, even in the midst. And looking into his eyes was so different than the eyes of others, and it's the difference Jesus makes. And friends, I pray that characterizes your life and mine that increasingly we live in a hard world 
where the pain is real and the losses are devastating. But increasingly, may we be a people who are recognizing that there's goodness still here. God's blessings are abundant. There's hundreds. No, there's thousands for those who have eyes to see. And I want to be someone who's always talking with the Lord and complimenting God and thanking Him for those good blessings. And I want to be someone who finds joy even in the hardship. Let's pray that that would be true of us. Lord, we do Thank you for these commands. They're audacious, but they're a high vision we want to grow into. May our lives be characterized by a joy only you can bring. May our hearts be filled with gratitude this Thanksgiving and increasingly in our whole lives. Lord, please do a work in each of us and help us to live out what these three verses describe. We want it for us. We'll admit there's a little selfishness in this. But we want it for you. Uh, You know, it is said that joy is the flag that flies over the castle of the human heart announcing that the king is at home. And we want that flag of joy to fly in our lives announcing you're making a huge difference. Please, God, may that be true of us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.